0: Hi, and welcome to She Is Wise, a podcast dedicated to braver, bolder, bigger conversations for women who want to change the world. I'm Ellie Bell, an empowerment coach passionate about supporting women to show up in the world as their best version of themselves. I'm a former corporate executive with a background working in professional sport and a qualified life coach working with women for the past four years. I've got two gorgeous little girls, which are the reason I'm so determined to change the way women are in the world. I have an incredible husband who encourages, supports, and shapes my work in ways that prove that men have to be part of the solution. And I'm Erin Hodson, a psychic medium and spiritual healer who
1: believes that for the world to be a place I'm grateful and proud to leave for my two young sons, change is necessary, and that change must be led by women. My work is deeply rooted in ancestors and understanding who we come from and who we can become. I love exploring the spirituality of who we are and the intersection of that with our human experiences. We're two women who grew up on opposite sides of the world, but when we met, instantly recognized each other as kindred spirits, ready to make meaningful change in ourselves, each other, and the world around us.
0: Now is the time for women to be brave, vulnerable, and bold, to explore what is really true for us and how we can make meaningful change in the world Join us as we dive passionately into conversation about things that really matter, share light-hearted banter with each other, and dare to challenge what we've been told we can do, have, and be as women.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of She is Wise, um, another guest episode today, and we are super excited to have Jill McLennan here to talk to us um, about what she does in the world and... Uh, have a a sort of a conversation, I guess, around um, grief and end of life and what that looks like and how we should uh, perhaps see it slightly differently to to the way we do. So Jill, if you would like to introduce yourself and tell everybody what you do and and who you are and we'll get started.
2: Sure. Uh, So yeah, my name is Jill. I am from New Jersey, and I am actually transitioning from being a pastry chef to a death doula, um, which is something that, even still sometimes in my brain, seems like a big switch. But I think I've always been attracted to this work. I just didn't know what to do with it. You know, I was always the kind of like weird kid that liked dead things. You know, I was always like checking out things, it's always asking a lot of questions that never really got answered. Most people just kind of didn't want to talk about it. And then it was kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, why do you want to know? And I was just curious. And so I had the opportunity to take care of my grandmother at the end of her life. It was a really amazing experience. I mean, it just was difficult at moments, but it was more because I wasn't prepared. I had no idea what to expect. And thank God for the hospice nurses. They came in and answered any questions that I had, but that wasn't their job. Their job wasn't there to take care of me. Their job wasn't to help me understand. Um, their job was to take care of my grandmother Um, But they really made it so much easier for all of us. And so I considered going to school to be a nurse, but I didn't really want to be a nurse after I saw some of what they did. So when I heard about a death doula, I in the summer of 2019, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be there to support people at the end of life, but also work with their families um, and then also work with the families after the person is passed on so that I can support them a little bit better through the grieving process, because a lot of people I spoke to, they said, yeah, you know, during the time when my loved one was sick, all these people were around and then they died and then everybody disappeared. And then I'm alone and I have to clean out the house and I have to go through their stuff and nobody's there. And then after a while, people don't even want to hear about it anymore. It's kind of like, well, why aren't you over it? It's been a month. It's been six months. It's been a year but we're not taught to process the grief in a way that's healthy we hold it in which then means that it drags on and doesn't feel settled for potentially the rest of our lives so i'm really you know passionate about just making this conversation not something that's scary and uncomfortable it's you know really we're all going to die like whether we want to admit it or not everybody we love is going to die whether we want to admit it or not pretending it's not going to happen is not going to stop it any more than talking about it is going to make it happen. Because sometimes that's what people think too. Well, if I talk about my husband dying, that means I wish he's going to die. No, that's not what it is. It just means that maybe you'll be more prepared because literally like we don't know. It could be tomorrow. It hopefully will not be tomorrow that my husband dies, but it could be. And pretending that's not something that's possible isn't going to make me prepared for it when it does. So that's kind of where I'm at now is just trying to really bring, I mean, that's why I named my business end of life clarity. I just want to bring clarity to people about, you know, what the end of life really is and that it can be a really beautiful experience for you and your loved ones if we can be prepared for it.
0: I, I love the thing that you said about the fact that if we think about talking about it, then it's going to make it happen. And that was something certainly for me that I would always be like, well, if I if I think about it or if I um, do anything to prepare for it, then that means it's going to be more likely. And being able to get my head around the fact that actually that's not true um, took a wee while. And it's something that, you know, I think once you have children, you become much more like, actually, we need to have some plans in place, like, you know, we need to have wills and we need to have, you know, what would happen if, you know, happened, you know, if we both were were killed or something happened, then, you know, what happens to the children and all of that. But it was a really, it was a really challenging process to go through that, because it is like thinking about your worst nightmare, and then having to, like, come up with solutions for it, but actually going through the process and being more ready for it. Um, certainly takes kind of like a bit of the sting out of it, almost like the thought of it doesn't freak me out so much anymore. Um, I feel a lot more, you know, I have spreadsheets with passwords and accounts and all of those sorts of things on the basis that I do everything that if something happened to me then you know I want to make sure that Matt and the girls are in as good a hands as possible to be able to move forward and that's really helped but it took a long time to to get my head around that so I really I'm I'm really pleased that that's something that you have talked about and mentioned um and would love to know a little bit more about how do you get more into that you know facing the fact that it is the reality because it is really difficult
2: Oh yeah. I mean, I think it's different for everybody how to really start thinking that way. Um, because again, most of us weren't ever taught at all. We didn't have conversations at all. So some people literally can't even say the word. You know, they can't even say death. Like sometimes when I say I'm a death duel, people like flinch a little bit and I'm like, it's death, like it's a word. It's it's okay, you know. I've known people that can't go to funerals, you know, they just, they can't face it at all. So for somebody like that, it's really, you know, start small, like even start with pets, you know, like how many people don't talk to their children about pets dying? It's like, oh, the, the fish, it just it disappeared. I'm going to go get a new one. You know, <laughs> like they pretend that like these things don't happen. Um, and that's where like, honestly, you know, the younger we can start having the conversations with people, the better. But especially, you know, our parents, our spouses, it's really important to start those conversations. And unfortunately, a lot of people shut down. And so you just have to, you know, I think gently start the conversations. And like, you know, if somebody is starting to get triggered and really like closing off, you don't want to traumatize anybody, of course. But, you know, I think even then, maybe that's when like reading things or writing things is a good way to do it. I mean, a lot of, I think a lot of us just kind of because we shut down to it, we're just not willing to like even explore the different ways to learn about it. Um, But even just reading like a fiction book about death, like for me, the hardest part is that like some people lose children. You know, I know you both have two kids. I have two young kids. And the first time I read a story about somebody that lost a child, I was like overwhelmed and I just kind of put it to the side, and I let it rest. And then I was like, I have to come back to this, though, because this might be something I'll come across, whether I'll have the ability to work with somebody that loses a child. I don't know. I'm, I really can't honestly say, because it might be too triggering for me. But, you know, just little by little, I've been reading more stories about it and the experiences that people have had. And, You know, just softening to that idea. Cause again, I can't potentially stop it. I don't want it. That's like my worst nightmare. But, you know, again, like I can't avoid all of the thoughts about it because of the line of work that I'm in. So you don't want people to get traumatized by learning about death. But you can still, again, start with little things. You know, read books about dogs that die. Like there's some people that they are more upset when a dog dies than when a person dies, you know? Um, but it's, I don't know, it's hard because everybody is a little bit different. Um, but now there's a lot of death doulas like coming into this career. And so even like TikTok, um, I'm not on TikTok. It's not something that I've really used, but I've had a lot of friends like reach out to me and say, Hey, there's this death doula on TikTok. And she makes these really amazing videos and like talks about the different things, Um, you know, Instagram, like the social media, there's a lot of people that are really touching on different areas of this. So I think that's really kind of a good way to kind of get the conversation started too with loved ones. It's like, hey, I like watched this video and the woman said, you know, do you have a living will? Like, I, I don't have a living will. Do you have a living will? And start that conversation with your family, you know? Like, well, what do you want at the end of your life? Just kind of like start those conversations small because we really do need to have them. We can't avoid it really. I think COVID was a good wake up call in some ways for people around that of like, a lot of us aren't prepared. And so, you know, when something like this happens that like globally really freaked everybody out so much, it's like, okay, maybe we should start thinking about these things more.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think there's like there's a number of reasons why people don't like to talk about death and dying and loss. Um and I think that loss part of it is a big part of the equation. Right, like we don't we don't like to think about losing people that we love. Um we don't like to experience loss of any kind really. Um as humans we're very physical. Um, And we like to have that physical connection to things and people and places that make sense to us. Um, But, you know, for me personally, like death was always something that I was quite afraid of um, and something that I had to sort of find peace with. And when I look back at my life, I've experienced a lot of people that I know and people that are close to me dying and, Um, And I always wondered why that was, like, why it was when I was so, like, not okay with it that I had it all the time around me. And then, you know, I came to an understanding of what happens when we die. And I think that's part of the, um, the conversation that we don't have is what happens when we die. You know, we sanitize it in a big way we talk to our children about like, oh, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it myself. Like we used to say to my children, like, oh, grandma's in heaven. You know, we're not religious. We don't believe in a heaven and we don't believe in a hell. But we were like, okay, well, you know, grandma's in heaven. That was the, the construct that we could offer them. Now we're much more like, you know, I have conversations with my son because he talks to grandma and he has, um, you know, he feels her presence. And so we have conversations about how she's in the ancestral realm. And sometimes that's right next to us. And sometimes that's far away and you can invite her in when you want to, and that sort of stuff. And he, you know, he still obviously gets sad about the fact that she's not here, but he's much more understanding of the fact that the connection is maintained and that there isn't a, um, you know a break in the chain if you like beyond the physical but the other thing that I'd like to um, talk to you about is that like I think as humans and particularly as women that fear that we have of not being missed or of not not like to me it's like if I'm afraid of not being here Um, That's different to being afraid of dying and being forgotten almost. And I feel like there's a lot of fear around that, you know, the world keeps spinning and everything keeps happening. And like you said, you know, when people die that we love, our world stops for a little moment and we get stuck in that space of grief and trying to process what's happening on every level um and the world keeps spinning around us and people stop talking about them and all of that stuff and and for me like i'm i'm really passionate about continuing those conversations and sharing those stories and maintaining that that reverence and that connection to the, our loved ones in spirit um but i think that that's part of the the fear of loss and the fear of dying right is that we don't want to be forgotten we don't, we don't want to be not talked about. We don't want to be someone that our family sort of references at Christmas and Easter or whatever and then doesn't really talk about any other time. Um, is that yeah. something that you think, like, plays out? Because obviously, you know, in New Zealand, we do things slightly differently than we might if we were in the US or the UK. Like, is that something that you think plays out in, in the US in terms of that, that mindset around death?
2: Yeah, I think um in the US one of the things that I see a lot of is um you know we bury people in cemeteries and then you visit the cemetery on a holiday maybe if you even do that um and that's the end of it you know where in a lot of cultures there's altars that people make to somebody that's passed away that like you know it's like a real spot of like remembrance and you know I think at least again in the U S we've gotten so far away from some of these rituals that people do around death because it's like, you know, grandma gets sick, grandma goes in the hospital and then you don't see her again. And you maybe see her at the funeral, if you even can go to the funeral. And that's the end of it. We don't sit with people while they're dying. We don't hold that space. You know, like the first, I um, live in an area of New Jersey where there's a lot of people from Puerto Rico. And the first time somebody said to me, that when somebody dies, they actually set them up in their house for a few days. I was like, wait, they do what? And I was like, you have to like be in the house with like the, I was fascinated, but I was just like, I didn't think, I didn't know people did that. Like to me, you know, grandma or somebody got sick, they went in the hospital and then you didn't see them again because that's just the way that it worked. And so we have really sterilized the whole process, which I think leads to us, almost needing to forget the people because that's the only way that we can cope with it. It's like you just kind of have to like put up this wall of being like, okay, well they're again, they're they're just gone. They went to heaven. They went, you know, somewhere else. But I think the more that we can kind of embrace these rituals of like at the end of life, really, you know, holding the space with somebody and sitting with them and talking to them, you know, holding their hand, and then even after somebody dies, one of the big things that happens even, you know, to somebody that's fairly aware of death and not afraid of it is like the person dies, you call the funeral home, the body gets picked up, it goes out, just sit, just sit and like be in that moment and like spend time with that person and allow yourself to like feel what you want to feel and what you need to feel. It's not like, you know, the funeral home's going to show up and say, why'd you wait two hours? doesn't matter, you know, but like, we just go through these processes and we just move and we go and we go and we go. And it's like, you know, again, that's part of that patriarchal like idea of like, we have to stay busy and we have to keep moving and we need to go to the next step. No, just slow, slow down, pause a little bit. And really like, it is scary to think that, you know, your family's going to forget about you. You know, how many times I go to the cemetery with my mom, because that's what we do. And we put, you know, things on, you know, my grandparents and my grandmother, her mother. But then like you look around at these other, you know, tombstones and there's nothing. Nobody comes, nobody visits, nobody puts anything. It's like the people are forgotten. Um, And so I like to walk around and look at them and read the names and read the dates. And like, just even, you know, I don't know the people, but I just kind of send them a little bit of like, you're not forgotten. Like I'm here and I'm thinking of you because I don't know for sure what happens when we die. But I also don't think that our souls like just blink out. Like my husband's very atheist. He's like, no, once we're dead, like it's gone, it's done, it's over with. And I'm like, but you believe in like all this, like, you know, science stuff. And science says, like, once energy is here, it doesn't just disappear. So, like, why would you think that like the energy that is our soul would disappear? So I like to think that these people that even I don't know at least feel a little bit from me being like, no, I'm here for you. Like I'm, I'm thinking of you. Um, but I have an altar in my house and I have, you know, photos of my grandmother and I have a piece of her hair that I cut, um, after she died. And, you know, I do, I go to it and I talk to her and it's, I don't miss her, which sounds so weird. Like she raised me. She was like, She was everything to me. I was so not afraid of her dying, but I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to like deal with the pain that I'm going to feel because I'm going to miss her so much, but I don't feel like she's gone. But I think that's also because I've made the conscious effort to keep her alive for me in my memory. I talk to my daughter about her all the time. My daughter says, I wish I could have met her. And I'm like, I wish you could have too. But, you know, like she's still around, but that's because also I do create those rituals. And, you know, I think it's important for my children to hear that too, because, you know, I wasn't even allowed to go to my grandfather's funeral when I was a kid and he died. Like the family was like, no. So I realized a couple of years ago, like when I really was getting into this death doula work, that I had a lot of unprocessed grief from my grandfather dying when I was like five years old because I was with him all the time. I was always at my grandmother and my grandfather's house. Like I knew he was sick. And then all of a sudden one day he was gone and that was it. And I never was able to like process it. And when I really fell into it and I was like, oh, like that's what some of that is in there. Like that's unprocessed grief from, you know, when I was a child and, you know, it's never too late to work through that though. But we have to also be willing to like really sit with that and be like, you know, it's okay. So I journaled about it a lot. I wrote him a letter, you know, (laughs) like I went through some of these processes and realized, you know, that it did make part of my soul feel a little bit better to like Honor, you know, maybe that like little version of me, the little Jill that is still standing there in the doorway, like, where'd Grandpa go? <laughs> like, I don't know what happened to him. And everybody just was like, Oh, he's just gone. He's just gone. Well, what does that even mean? So um, yeah, the unprocessed grief, even from childhood, can really, you know, wreak some havoc on you when things come up. So yeah. I think as well, like we
1: inherit so much unprocessed grief, you know, like we, if you think about historically, like, you know, that, that reference point of us being children. And I had a very similar experience with my great grandfather, um, who, you know, was very present in our lives until I was about, I think he died when I was 10 and like, he just, I went to school one day and we were supposed to go and visit him after school. And then my dad picked me up and said, he's gone. And that was it. And to me, like that, using that as a reference point, like that's actually no different than a a son going off to war and not coming home, right? Or a family member getting on a ship to immigrate to the other side of the world and never seeing them again. Like that, that unprocessed, unresolved grief, because we didn't talk about that stuff. You just shut that stuff down. That was never okay to discuss, and, you know, it was understood that that person had that trauma, but we don't talk about it because we don't want to re-traumatize them. Like talking about someone that they've lost is somehow going to, you know, dig the knife in deeper. And, and we inherited that. And we're, and then we're having that placed on top of us again by the way that society tells us we should grieve, you know, even the, the notion of sending our loved ones off to a cemetery. And having that be the place that we go to pay reverence. Like, I love that your grandmother is alive inside of your home because of how you have created that space for her to be there with you. So many people don't do that. My father-in-law has a plaque um, up at the cemetery for my mother-in-law. Her ashes are in his home. But he goes to the cemetery to talk to her. He takes flowers to the cemetery. And he expects his children to do that too. And when my wife doesn't do it, he gets confused and frustrated. He's like, do you, you, know, do you not care that your mother's gone? She's like, she's not there. Like the place that I can go to talk to mum is actually at your house. And I don't feel comfortable doing that because you deny she is there with you. But he's not ready to bury her either. you know. And it's all of that conflict and all of that stuff that it's just a constant re-traumatizing around loss and grief um and i think the work that you're doing which we're seeing more and more thankfully in the world um is returning us to some of those probably i guess more indigenous or more feminine practices around death like the the thought of um you know i i don't think i've had a single family member pass away and not be in the home with us as our fam- as a family for days afterwards like that's the first thing that happens is we organize whose house they're going to be at. Right. And that's just, that's our family practice. Um, my friend lost her two children um, several years ago now, and um, they, they were at her, her parents' house. And so we all as her friends gathered at her parents' house and spent time with all of them talking about the children, holding the children's hands. Um, you know, we took them, their favorite books, their toys, that sort of stuff um and it was really healing for everybody to be in that space and to see that actually while their physical bodies were still present with us that actually they were they were here now they're not something we can reach out and touch anymore and that's okay like and i just i think the work that you do and and the prevalence that we're going to see of that in the future is so important to us as a society and especially as women i love that women are leading the way in that and returning society back to that space of attaching spirituality to the process of death Um, because i think it's been pulled apart by patriarchy religion whatever you want to call it right like sanitized and sterilized and made okay for public consumption because it's not painful if you talk about it in a sanitary way
0: how do you um Sorry, just to jump in because we didn't grow you know, very British. Very, you know, you didn't see them once they were once they were dead. I mean, I was lucky that I saw my grandfather. I was a My dad took me to see he died at home, and I was able to see him. And I was with my grandmother just before she died, and then spent some time afterwards. So I feel very lucky in that respect. But what you're talking about, Erin, about having them in the home or anything like that, is so far away from anything that my I would ever consider. But actually, the way you talk about it makes me think. Well, that would be really lucky. But how do you how do you go about doing that? Like, it just feels so alien to me. I wouldn't know where to start. And I think that's almost the problem with death is that we have to kind of just we go into like that need to just get stuff done because it's a coping mechanism. So you go with what you know. And if we're going to change it, if there's going to be a different way of doing things, then we have to be having these conversations so people know it but also like where do you go to find out like I don't know how long like how long would you keep the body at yeah. home for like how long is okay <laughs> how, Yeah, you know, do you have to put them on ice <laughs> you know, like all of this like it's all of that sort of stuff like I, I grew up with a lot of my parents my dad was a coroner and my mum was a coroner's clerk so everyone who died in Northamptonshire basically went through either mum or dad you know in relatively traumatic you know it was not just the the natural death so we had. They have quite a blasé attitude to to death. Mum and dad do in, and I think that helps in many ways because we've always been that the body is just a vehicle that your soul is in, and once it wears out or something happens to it, then you still carry on. So that's very much the way I believe it. But we had that, but then that didn't translate into actually how we, you know, deal with with the actual dying of people. <laughs> so it's it's really confusing. So I'd love to know more about how do we
2: how do we do it differently? It's a lot of where death doulas can come in. Um, One of the things that I learned in my training is the different options that you have. Um, And yes, you would put the body on ice. Um, You could actually just use regular ice packs. Um, You change them out every few hours, but there's people that they specialize in home funerals. So they would come in and they can help you set up the whole, you know, the space, the way that you need it to be set up. Um, they'll help you with the ice packs and then changing them out. And, you know, you can keep a body in a house for a few days with the ice. It, it will be completely fine. Um, and then you can go through the whole process there, have the viewing there, have the service there. Um, because to me, I think that sounds beautiful, you know, being able to go through that whole process in your house. And again, as the person that's grieving, to not have to be drug out to a funeral home, because that's one of the things, too. Funerals are big business, they are big money makers for the people that sell the caskets and all that stuff. And, you know, like any other business, they just want to make as much money as possible. And, you know, and there's part of me that, as a business person, I'm like, I get it. But also, you know, there's going to be people that are going to take advantage of that in your weakest moment. And there is other options. I mean, even, you know, the idea of like a green burial, I did not realize that you could do that. Most states have a at least, you know, in the United States, most states have green burial lands and you can just be put right into the ground you don't have to go through any embalming which sounds like it's a brutal process and again at that point i'm not part of that body anymore anyway but at the same time why why do that like it's, it's not needed like let's just return to the earth like it's i'd even heard a um a podcast once where they were talking about how you know, mother earth like needs more of us because that's the way it was designed was for us to die and be returned to the earth. And now we embalm all these bodies and shove them into, you know, little plots in the ground that then also have to be completely encased because God forbid this like body gets into the earth. And so I was like, when I heard that, I was really fascinated and I thought about it and I was like, wow, like, I never thought of that being an option. I thought you either, you know, got embalmed and went into the ground in a casket or you got cremated and you sat on a shelf and like, that was your only options. Um, but it's really not, there's even like places now that are starting to compost bodies, like so that it can be returned to the earth in a way that's, you know, a little bit different, but There's a lot of different options for what you can do at the end of life, as well as once you have died
0: there was a place near us back in the UK and you could do it was a green burial site and then you'd have a tree planted on top of you and i was like uh-huh. boom that's that's the sort of thing that i like but talking about that going back to the earth is um i was out walking with the girls the other day and we found a couple of baby birds that had obviously fallen out of the nest and i was like oh god do i show the girls do i not i was like no no we you know we're going to embrace this whole sort of talking about everything so i was like oh look you know here's a baby bird that's fallen out of the nest and and my 5 year old was just like oh but that's so sad what's going to happen to it and I was like well what's going to happen is the the body's going to break down and go back into the earth and then where it's gone into like the plants that grow there are going to be really like strong and beautiful and there'll probably be some flowers because you know it needs the nutrients that come from it and she was like oh okay that's really cool and like we just had this lovely I mean you know my two and a half year old was like can I touch it I was like no please (laughs) go away (laughs) but it was a it was a really like for me it was a real moment where I was like actually talking about death doesn't have to be sad it doesn't have to be awkward it doesn't have to be unpleasant it can actually be a really talk about that beautiful process that actually when it does go back into the earth that means that you know more I've always remember this we had a lovely cat called Jack he was such a nice cat and we you know we all of our animals got buried in the garden um, and we put him under this rose bush that mum got and I tell you what like after he was buried there, the roses were incredible. And I always remember just having that like little bit of joy that he was still there in this beautiful, but it's just like, that is such, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but it's just, I find that we've got to find ways to make this easier to talk about that we can have these conversations because
2: Mm -hmm.
0: otherwise it's just so emotional when it happens that you just get stuck in the, well, this is the run sheet. This is what we're, I've been told we do. So I guess I better follow it because I'm probably not in any, space to be thinking about it but i know that i would like to have and matt and i have these conversations every now and then of course i'm the one who instigates it but i'm like i think i want to i think i'd be cremated but then i need to be like thrown somewhere and not want to sit in a shelf or anything i need to go but then actually maybe I'd like a tree or i think there's something you can be you can go into a thing and be made into mushrooms which i thought sounded quite cool as well i was like there's got to be better ways to do it than like you say just put me in a box and shove me in the ground because that's not going to do me any good just going back
1: quickly to the the question that you asked about what happened, like how does it how does it work after you've died if you then you know want to go back to your family home or whatever? Um, here in New Zealand, it's probably quite a common practice, I think, and it's one of those things where you go to the funeral home, they prepare your body. Um, usually, that will require embalming, but they don't have to do that, and then they'll return you in a coffin to, um, or you know whatever encasement you require um back to wherever you need to be Um, and then they you know like they give you instructions like you know make sure the room doesn't get too warm the body will start to turn a little bit different in color and texture over the next couple of days don't be worried by that you know like that sort of stuff but like I'll I'll never forget so that the two most important women in my life and my wife's life my grandmother and her mother both died really, really suddenly. Like it was completely unexpected. One minute they were there, the next minute they were done. For us, the the trauma of losing them and not being able to say the things that were unsaid and not being able to um, just spend that last time holding their hand or, um, you know, touching their cheek or whatever it is that you, that you associate with them. Like for me, it was my grandmother's hands. The way her hands felt. They were so soft all the time and she used them so much. It was like they were worn um, and they were well-worn and you could feel that in her hands. And to be able to hold her hand and talk to her again in my parents' home um, was one of the most healing experiences I think I've ever had. Um, and it certainly when my mother-in-law passed away and my wife was able to sit with her and talk to her um, and share with her all of the hurt that she was feeling, incredible experience, like something you can't ever get back. Um and so anybody that has that opportunity, I hands down recommend it. Like, you know, indigenous cultures really, they physically care for the body. They wash them. They clothe them. Um they care for them in ways that like here in New Zealand, the Māori people, they don't like sending their loved ones off to a foreign place to be all sterilized and cleaned. They clean them for them. You know, if it's if it's a, a kuya, an older woman, then her daughters will take care of her and they will wash her and they will prepare her for being viewed. They will do her hair, her makeup, that sort of thing. And then they go to the marae and everybody comes and everybody has an opportunity to, to be with the body. They sleep next to the body. They, you know, they come and there's speeches and all kinds of cool stuff, you know, and it is, it's a really beautiful way to start that healing process that i think us colonials aren't great at we don't tend to follow those processes well um and we certainly sort of get to the point where we're just like actually i'm just going to shut it off i'm just going to like they're gone so now you know there's a, a funeral to plan and then after the funeral they'll we have to provide food and all of that sort of stuff and then after that we get back to normal and that that's not how it is because we're not normal we'll never be normal again because our normal looks different. So it's about processing that stuff and and being able to to care for them. Like, you know, the the concept of a soul just being ripped from a physical body um is not a pleasant one, but it's also not an accurate one in my view. I don't think that we just go that our soul has just suddenly disappeared from our body. Like that's not it's a much more gradual process. Um and the more that we Talk about them, the more that we pay reverence to them, the more that we um, share our love and our grief with them, the easier that transition is for them. It gives them permission to go, but knowing that they're being invited back, right? Whereas if we don't go through that process, it's kind of like, oh, well, you don't matter anymore. You've gone.
2: Yeah. In Buddhism, they actually, you leave the body for three days because they don't believe that the soul leaves the body right away. So like you actually, there's a ceremony that they do and there's certain prayers that they say that, you know, encourages the body or I'm sorry, the soul to leave the body to move to the Bardo before it goes on to the next life. And yeah, you know, I think that's really, I think important too, for the people that are grieving to have that time to like be there and to like allow it. And the part about like washing the body that's something that, um, you know, some death doulas will also do is help you create a ritual for somebody that, you know, is dying, one of your loved ones to be able to like wash the body. And I've read some stories about like different ceremonies that people did that it's beautiful, you know, like the bowl with like the flowers in it and all the different people, you know, do a different part of the ceremony and, I think it can be really healing. I mean, that's really, I think the first part of healing our grief is kind of having these, you know, ceremonies, these rituals that we work through. And, you know, again, it can be really beautiful. It's not that it's not going to be sad. It's still sad. I mean, you know, with loved ones gone, you're not going to see them in the physical plane anymore, but it can be a really you know, beautiful part of life, if we would allow it to be. And I think, you know, how you were saying the conversation about the, you know, the baby bird is like, kids really are very open to having conversations about death. It's the adults that are really freaked out about it. And, you know, with my daughter, she just turned eight um, this month. And We actually, we dog sit. And so we had a dog that was supposed to come on Sunday. We get this dog all the time, every Christmas for the last like four years, we have, his name's Finn. And, you know, we've had Finn, you know, two or three times a year and we knew he was sick. And so my daughter last night said to me when he was actually kind of like one of those things that catches you off guard. She says, if Finn dies, I'm going to cut my ear off. And I was like, excuse me. I was like, you're going to do what? And she was like, I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to cut my ear off. And I said, well, maybe that's not the way we should go about it, but you're allowed to be sad. And she said, I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to cry for days. And I said, that's fine. You can cry for days. And I said, why don't we come up with something that we can do? Because it's not the first dog that we've dog set that has passed away. And I said, you know what? Maybe we'll do like a rock garden for the dogs that we watch when they pass away. And she said, yeah, maybe that would be nice. And we'll paint their names. And, you know, I think I want to get a stuffed animal that looks like Finn. And I'm like, that's a great idea. And then I got home from work and my husband, I still haven't told the kids yet because it's just not time. But my husband said that the dog got put to sleep today. And I said, okay, well, you know, I have this podcast tonight. I was like, how about we tell them tomorrow night because they don't have school Friday. That'll give her the space to be able to grieve and cry for the day if she needs to. And just like support her in it. Because I think also we want to stop people from feeling the pain. So when we're on the outside of it, we want to be like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. They're fine. Everything's fine. No, just let them be in pain, but also say, I'm here. If you need me, you know, like, let's talk about it. Because I think a lot of people do want to talk about the person that they lost or the pet that they lost or, you know, whatever it is that they're grieving. But most people don't want to because they're afraid of the big emotions that somebody might have. There's nothing wrong with holding space for somebody that's sad and they're crying and just sit and just listen, hold their hand, you know, like, just sit there with them and let them know that they're not alone because that can be very healing for people to just feel not alone in a moment when they're feeling really sad and you can get that sadness out and then have the space to then, you know, really like almost literally be able to breathe afterwards because I think grief, you know, if you like talk about the chakras, right. Grief is all in your heart chakra And I think that's why sometimes people literally feel like they're dying when somebody else dies, because they're just holding all of that. And they, you know, your heart feels it, your lungs feel it, like your chest, everything just feels it. So we just need to allow people that space to get it out and then be there for them. But it's a change that we all have to slowly work ourselves into because most of us really weren't taught that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, like we could talk about that all day. That might even be another podcast episode, I suspect about, um, you know, just being able to sit in pain and grief with others. And, um, you know, we used to commune in grief. We used to, um, you know, spend time in grief with each other. And, and now it's very much a separated out. I don't want to sit with your grief because I don't want you to sit with mine type of thing. And yeah, I think, you know, We would probably like to have you back to have that kind of conversation because I think that's a whole other, whole other category of um, conversation. But yeah, like the the concept of of holding space for others, of learning that um, that grief is it's something that we have to process. It's something that we have to um, we have to learn to be okay with feeling because otherwise we carry it with us, right? And that's why we end up with. With heart problems, with lung problems, that because we're carrying that, and and it is energy. And as you know, as we well know, if you if you can shift that energy, if you can let that out, and that's why crying is such a, a powerful way of processing grief. But I think people think sometimes that when you cry and you let that grief out, that it just creates space for more grief to take its place. Um, but that's not how it works, right? Like it's just energy, and we just have to shift it and create space for whatever energy needs to take its place. And if that's more grief, then that's what serves us. So, um, yeah, it's a a really important conversation. And I would just ask that, you know, if there is anything else that you want to share specifically today, please do. And, um, yeah, Ellie, have you got anything that you want to add
0: no i've just I've been blown away by the conversation as a whole, and I think it's something that we need to be talking with our loved ones and our friends and and being the one to lead it because people do shy away from it. it does feel scary, it does feel like well, am I inviting it in if I talk about it and to be able to you know let that go and to be able to discuss the cool ways that it can be done and it can be beautiful and that yeah, I think it's really important, and I'd love to continue it on so no, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for the work you do and thank you for the people that,
2: that you'll be helping. Thank you for having me today. And I think, you know, the last thing would just be a good place to start the conversations is with maybe people that you're not super close with because it is a little bit easier. So there's things called death cafes. You know, they're online, they're in person, you know, you can find them anywhere in the world. Um, and it's a good place to start the conversation because it is easier you know, even for me, it's easier for me to talk to the two of you about death than it is to talk to my mom, because there is so much that can come up and so many big things. But the more that we have the conversations with people that aren't super close to us, then the easier it is to have them with the people that we really need to have them with, which is our parents and our spouses and even our children.
1: I agree 100%. I think if we can remove the emotional attachment to the to the content of the conversation um then I think the conversation will go a lot further um and and be a lot more robust and I think that's what we need um and so thank you for coming along and being part of this conversation and and sharing your thoughts on it yeah I'm very grateful that you have held space for us to have this conversation tonight and grateful for your time and energy and um yeah I think the people who Uh, you know, will engage you in the work that you do. Uh, Very privileged to have um, such wonderful hands holding their loved ones um, as they go through that transition. So thank you so much for your time. As always, if you've enjoyed this conversation, you can subscribe to um, the podcast. You can, um, Jill's details will be in the show notes. So you are welcome to check her out, reach out to her for a conversation if you desire. And um, yeah, we will be back again um, and we will certainly be inviting Jill back again, I, I think, to have um, more of this conversation. So if you enjoyed it, let us know.
0: You've been listening to Shears Wise with Ellie Bell and Aaron Hodgson. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please remember to subscribe so you can join us next time. And if you haven't already, please consider leaving us a review or sharing this podcast with your friends. Thanks so much for joining us and we will catch you on the next episode.